And now, coming to you live from our coast-to-coast trading desk, this is the Flagship Pod, a weekly live podcast brought to you by Moby.co. As always, I'm your host, Peter Starr, bringing you this time an awesome discussion about every all things crypto, everything happening in terms of this resurgence we're seeing today, the market bouncing back right at the very end, you know, we get the tiniest little Santa bump, as well as some really cool updates in terms of thinking about healthcare stocks, as well as the future of aerospace. We have a really tight 30 to get through, ladies and gentlemen, so let's go ahead and get right into it. As always, ladies and gentlemen, I'm uh, joined by Justin Kramer, co-founder founder and chief analyst here at Moby.co. Justin, hell of a year, man. Lots of really great analysis. How do you feel about it so far, dude? What's going on? Yeah, definitely a a crazy year. Every year seems crazier than the next, but um, this year in particular, there's there's a lot going on, especially coming into the end of the year. Um, It's from an investing perspective, super interesting seeing the index up so much, but a lot of stocks down, especially the ones that people have been investing in in the first half of this year. So it's all a crazy ride into next year um, and really looking forward to it. Exactly, yeah. I'm, I'm also excited for it, too. It's just 2022 is going to be a year of very considered investing as we begin to watch interest rates hike up. Um, here at Market Close, though, we can just kind of appreciate us finally making a beautiful sprint to the end of the year. You know, markets are up pretty well. We got that tiny little Santa bump. I think the main news that people are kind of curious about is, is um, after all of the, the sell-offs we had in the past month, crypto's on a big, big run. Solar's up big, uh, Bitcoin's up big, Ethereum's almost up as big as all of them, but like we're kind of getting back to those original levels and breaking through through those resistance lines. When you're looking at like the numbers though, Justin, like what do you see there? Like what's going on in the crypto space that's causing this resurgence? Is it just us following the Santa bump, or is there something that I missed here, man? No, I think it's a uh, it's a good like question because right now there's not like a single factor to point towards to say it's due to this, it's not due to this. The there was an interesting chart. I think we called out the Discord channel for those of you who saw it. That basically. Without boring you guys with the details, basically when interest rates rise, typically risky assets like crypto, like technology, um, things of that nature start to slide because like the risk reward just isn't there. Um, So the thought historically has always been crypto is a risk on asset. So in a risk off environment, it's been thought that um, that crypto wouldn't do well. But what we actually saw over the last almost year now at this point was crypto, their pricing, granted it was a little bit more pronounced, but crypto pricing follow the you know the rise and fall in interest rates. And so the interest rates haven't been too drastic of terms of like rising and falling. But when you look at the 10-year treasury this year and you map it against crypto, there's really been like kind of like a very strong correlation. And so right now, since earlier this December, we saw a low and it's been rising a little bit, nothing substantial, but it could describe over the last week or two why we're seeing that rise up um, as you know, as they potentially continue to stay correlated. Outside of that, I think we're just looking at normal kind of like peaks and valleys in the crypto world, how we always have in terms of like there's just so much volatility. There's so much noise going on. There's so much investing, so much selling. It's just, it's going to be a roller coaster for here for a very long time. Like we're not, if we're using our baseball analogies, like we're still in the second, third inning of this stuff. There's just, there's so much going on. They're literally reinventing the internet right now. So it's going to be a multi-year process. 
Precisely, and it's one of those things where it's simultaneously got more potential, but also far more complications than Web 2.0. So just watching Web 3 get built live is really interesting. Not only that, but I also think it's way more exciting because, you know, we had the dot-com bubble back in 2000 where half the world wasn't really paying attention to tech and the other half was, you know, way too positive on it. Whereas this time we have a lot more eyes on Web 3 as it gets built, right? So the main question is, like, um, like what projects are going to work out? Is there going to be a lot more competition? And I think the main difference between, like, 2000 and 2020 is just the amount of attention being poured into the Web 3 space. And so what you're seeing is you're seeing a lot of really competitive projects kind of trying to accomplish the same goals necessarily and, you know, people just kind of reaping upside through that competition. So that's kind of the environment that, you know, considered investors thrive in. It's the kind of environment I love. Bring more competition. Let's go, baby. Break up monopolies. Uh, let's get some shareholder value, right? And so what you've seen emerge in our writing about crypto is that we've been kind of focusing on the chief issue of crypto needing a not necessarily a stable coin but a algorithmic reserve currency right two weeks ago we did a lot of work on Olymp actually it was just last week wasn't it jesus it feels like a month ago last week we talked a lot about olympus dow how they're trying to play the reserve currency game and this week uh, we finally did reporting after you know calling it out in the discord for a while Terra, right? We had a lot of really interesting um, uh, perspectives in terms of trying to figure out like this pricing structure. So we talked a lot about Olympus last week. So Justin, why don't you give me your views on Terra this week? Like you called it out before it kind of had a brilliant 10,000% rise. Take me through some of the ideas um, you have for Terra, how it kind of differs from like your classic DAO play and like why, why you're kind of bullish on it moving forward. Yeah, so Terra has like been on an interesting run this year. We called it out earlier this summer. And it wasn't really from an investing standpoint, it was more a trading. There was like some real institutional assets behind it. Still super young. I mean, and still super young today that hasn't changed, but like we were trading it from a, a trading perspective. And so something that was short term and that was around like $10 and now it's like near 80, 90. So it's been up like seven, 800% since then. So the, the rise has been meteoric. And so with that rise, they've attracted more investor attention, attracted more retail attention and basically like in a nutshell what they're doing is very interesting so like some of these other algorithmic stablecoin projects or just other projects that are like giving you crazy yield it has like the potential to just come crashing down one day because there's no actual inherent reason to hold the coin it's just to get paid whereas with this this is a project that's actually has real use case and actual adoption just not in the u.s yet so for example, like if you go to the store and you buy something with a credit card and in the US and most of Western Europe, it's going to be either Visa or MasterCard or American Express, you're not paying a fee, but the merchant's paying a fee and the merchant may very well end up charging you more, which means you're inherently paying the fee as well. And so the fees can range um, at the minimum. They're usually two, three percent. And so that's, you know, obviously quite expensive for merchants that are doing significant revenue. I mean, you do the math. When you start moving into the millions, hundreds of millions of dollars, like you're paying these credit card companies a ton of money. So what Terra is doing is trying to like fight down and push down the fees for merchants and give a more like stable project. And so they have two different coins. One is the actual stable coin itself, and that maintains a dollar, a value close to a dollar. And the other one is a coin that is meant to be held for investing purposes. And so Right now in Asia, there is some like some real adoption, especially in Korea right now, um, where merchants are using this. And the purpose of it is the coin, the more it's used, the more adoption it's used, 
the more Terra or more Luna rather that is ultimately burned or and ultimately held. So you're kind of betting on the adoption here. And as more and more people use Terra, the more and more the value of Luna has like literally has to go up. So it's really been on a meteoric rise over the last week or two. And with, when anything moves up so much, I'm skeptical to like add to the position. But again, depending on kind of your, your long-term or your time horizon in general, if you're looking at this over 10 years and it's at $80 today, are you going to be mad if you bought it at 150 if it goes up to 1000 Or if you're doing it in short term, then yeah, you are going to be mad because you're going to end up potentially losing some if it crashes. But when it, like Bitcoin, for example, when it goes up to 60K a coin over the last decade, if you bought a 2000 you bought a 4000 maybe that's a 100% difference back then. But today, like, you're still capturing 80, 90% of the upside. So long story short, like, I think it's a really interesting project. Again, this is, it hasn't even been around for over a year yet. So this is going to take years and years and years to play out. But this has a really high upside potential and is already like the ninth biggest coin. So people are discovering it. And I think that gets into a key thing our audience is asking us about because we, you know, have been very inflation focused for the past, I would say, six months. Like we've been thinking it's coming for a while, ever since 2020. And we've been saying, hey, this this is, you know, potentially happening. What the hell's going on? Jerome Powell and the Fed. And finally, last week, we, we got the relief. We got the resolution from answers from the Fed in terms of, yes, rates are probably going to be raised three times across 2022. The asset purchase program is going to go down to zero. It's not just taper time. It's taper cliff time boys. Um, and so I think one thing that people have been asking us about is, okay, how do I become, how do I, you know, change my style of investing to be more considered during this period? And I think that's what's driven, that's kind of the market force driving you and me, Justin, to think deeply about a lot of these new and emerging crypto projects, because gone, not necessarily gone, but we are, you know, getting out of the period where we could just, you know, throw a bunch of money into a bunch of growth stocks and get like ludicrous returns during the high growth environment of 2020. Now we're in this value period where our more traditional investments need to be far more considered, but we still want to see if we can't capture some of these large upsides. So that's why we're thinking about Olympus Dow, that's why we're thinking about Terra and Luna, and that's why we're thinking about other crypto projects, because you need to, if you want to, you know, maintain some portion of your speculative budget, that needs to be a bunch of very small investments in emerging projects kind of spread around so you can capture some potential large upside. So when we think about crypto, that's, that's the main thing, because it still remains to be seen how how crypto and the rest of the market respond to a truly inflationary environment is it is it, is bitcoin truly an inflation hedge is it not we're still you know sussing that out so the only real answer we have is that it's going to be a volatile it's going to be a choppy first half of 2022 so when we bring you ideas and research that's what we're thinking about but when we bring you stocks we're going to be bringing you more of the value plays because honestly that's the main uh, that's the main thing that needs to happen and i was just vamping while uh, justin got kicked for a second because discord super great service really love it a lot <laughs> but just i come back sick and uh justin let me just bring you back around to this so one really strong value play is always going to be healthcare, and so i really loved the perspective you had a little bit earlier in the week justin as you kind of brought us two of the major healthcare stocks to think about because it's not just that healthcare is a value play it's that healthcare finally is responding to market pressures and is really healthcare companies are finally trying to own the doctor patient relationship and trying to find upside outside of just like the ludicrously complicated administrative environment we have in american healthcare so just can you kind of take me through some of the some of the thoughts you have as two uh, as two major healthcare organizations start to really think about owning that doctor patient relationship and how that what that how that kind of translates to shareholder value over time? Yeah, definitely. Um, it's interesting right now too because 
there's like a theme going on that people aren't talking about and it's kind of like the verticalization of companies so like tesla for example is trying to become vertically integrated and like that is the most boring fucking term in the world but basically what it means is you own also parts of the supply chain like listen tesla doesn't have they're not mining lithium but like they're trying to create the battery in-house they're trying to do production in-house shipping in-house like they're trying to own the entire part of the supply chain so they don't have to like rely on other companies it's really expensive to do that but in the long run like it potentially if you're really good at it can be very very like profitable as well as like like kind of foolproof in a sense that you don't have to worry about other people like fucking you over and so Tesla's doing it, like DC companies are doing it. it. It's like really become more of a theme. And so now we're really seeing this move over into healthcare. And so like, yeah, is an insurance company like United Healthcare the most boring company in the world? Probably. Um, but that doesn't mean what they're doing isn't working. And like, there's a reason that they're up more than the S&P. Like they're up more than, um, than so many tech companies. They're up more than Amazon this year and like a handful of others. So you know, it might be a boring insurance company, but it pays a dividend and it's growing faster than others. So to Peter's point, like what they're doing well right now is kind of being like that vertically integrated player. So they do insurance and now Optum, who they've had in their portfolio for a while, but has really continued to shine, is going to be like this vertically integrated healthcare system for them. So like what that means is their entire future there on the well, first off, Optum is broken into three areas. There's healthcare services, there's their technology and data, and then they have like their pharmacy arm. And so specifically, one of their fastest growing arms is their healthcare arm. And so one of our themes for 2022 is that managed services, managed healthcare becoming really a, a big theme. And so what Optum is doing very differently than most is a lot of people focus on the specialties, like getting, like going to a heart doctor, to a brain doctor, to like all these specialties that like make a lot of money and high margins. But what United's doing very differently than the rest, which is super interesting, is they're actually going after and acquiring primary care doctors, which like doesn't make a lot of money because it's usually routine stuff and they don't get paid a lot. But what's really interesting is they're surrounding all of their specialty doctors with more primary care doctors, because when you go to a primary care doctor and you have something wrong with your knees, your neck, your back, your head, they send you to the specialist. And so they literally own the lead gen and lead funnel of all of healthcare. And so they're going out and acquiring massive, massive groups across the country. And they already have the specialists kind of in their network as well. So they're going to be in a position if they continue expanding to literally own all of retail healthcare, which is like a pretty insane statement. And then on top of that, they have, they're also the biggest insurance company in the world. So they're going to have a ton of overlap in terms of which of their doctors take certain insurances, pricing other insurances out of market. Like there's going to be checks and balances. Like it is monopolization to a certain extent, but like they are really like exploding in growth. It's, it's crazy for a company of their size, especially in insurance to have this growth opportunity. But with so many people starting to go back to doctors, like over the next few years, it's really like a, a pretty sick opportunity. And then the other one we talked about was CVS. So CVS is also interesting, kind of for a similar sense, except they obviously don't have the insurance capabilities, but what they do have is the in-store like pharmacy. And so what they're doing is surrounding also primary care doctors and co-locating other doctors in their pharma pharmacy arm. And so that, again, creates a more vertically integrated system where they're not losing money to Walgreens and potentially other pharmacies. They have one-stop shops for all of your medical needs for most of like Americans in terms of like things that are routine. 
And so that pairing with urgent care, pairing with these other things, they're also exploding. And again, another reason why they are up more than most companies here. They're up almost 50% this year. Um, and they're really actually investing in technology and their team is very, very proven success, successful. So these are two historically very sleepy healthcare companies that are honestly exploding. Um, they're, they're up a ton this year, and I, I really think they're going to be up a lot next year. They have a, an amazing opportunity over the next few years. And, that, and I think what's really exciting about that, too, is you realize this is just these really large, slow organizations finally kind of waking up, smelling the coffee, and re re reacting to the market forces that have been shaping a lot of industries across the last, like, five years. And that's me specifically talking about the largest players in the game just deciding one day to come into your industry and mess everything up. Um, there's, always, there's always been rumblings about both Apple and Amazon getting into healthcare. Amazon has been, you know, making a lot of interesting health based acquisitions and also, you know, trying to get into the wearables game the way Apple Watch is. Um, and so that that's the main thing that uh, a lot of people are really concerned about is uh, as Amazon tries to own that doctor-patient relationship and, like, use its logistical prowess to break into the healthcare space, um, a lot of these old providers are realizing, I have to do something because Amazon can basically cut a company's market cap in half with a press release. You may you remember... Um, Back in the day when Amazon announced that they were going to do meal delivery services, how a bunch of uh, meal delivery services stocks just completely tanked overnight just off of Amazon just doing a Jedi mind trick, essentially. So keep that in mind as well. I guess, Justin, that does bring me to an audience question specifically about both Amazon and Apple. Like, as you watch, you know, United and CVS kind of adapt and, you know, use the advantages they have to make sure they stay relevant in this market, do you see, you know, some of the big, like, the giant players, the Amazons, the Apples of the world coming in and making a healthcare play as well? which could potentially damage some of the subside? Or is that just like, you know, tech company hornswoggle, you know? I'm on mute. I just read sorry. <laughs> um, no, I mean, the, the big guys definitely are going to get there, but they're going to get there in a different sense. So like Apple is obviously making a strong push into healthcare. They have been for a while, um, but they're, they're not going at it in a similar sense. Like I don't see Apple ever like, you know, being like a provider of like medical services. I see Apple like providing medical service companies with like better information and better data or other health tech companies. So like their wearables department is just so big and is continuing to expand and they are going to be in a position to start feeding other companies that information and data. And so like in theory, one day, like maybe a lot of routine visits can be like done through a combination of their technology and then other health health tech providers like um, like K health is a big provider that's based out of Israel. And so these like routine things that historically you've had to go to the doctor for, maybe they're able to displace that. But outside of that, I don't like see them ever getting to the area of like actual managed services or, or managed healthcare. They're, they're just always going to be a tech enabled solution, but yeah, I mean, they're expanding like crazy. That's going to be a huge theme for them outside of, uh, outside of the Apple car, which is going to be, and, and now VR, which is going to be huge as well. I mean, they're just so adept at, at tackling so many issues. Like, I, like, yeah, they can't do everything amazing forever, but, but they've done it to date. Um, so we'll we'll see how it plays out. Exactly. And uh, audience, what I really appreciate is you asking questions like this to keep us on our toes and make sure that we're, you know, adapting this conversation to exactly your needs. So if you have any questions at all, we have uh, here um, in the actual live conversation, we have voice chat. Feel free to ask us anything about, you know, literally anything at this point, because remember, the inflationary pressures we're experiencing, you know, make us have to be very specific and considered. So we can kind of bounce around a lot as we think, you know, deeply about investing in this new environment. At the same time, if voice chat doesn't work, you can literally just DM me. That works as well. And if you're listening 
listening to the recording here and want to hear more from us, always feel free to email us at hello at moby.co. We always want to make sure we get you the right perspective you need. So as we keep as we keep rolling through this, I guess the main question is, we're really excited about this, the teeny tiny little Santa rally we had, but now but now it is, okay, I'm going to, you know, kind of take a breather this week. Next next month, next year, whatever, I'm going to, you know, wake up and start playing a lot more of that value game. That's what I'm seeing a lot, too. So help, we've got we've got healthcare. We've got sort of considered plays within crypt, within the crypto space. What other industries are you looking at, Justin, as, you know, the, the, the main games to play right now as we sort of kind of brace ourselves for the pressures that will come from rates being raised throughout 2022? Yeah, I mean, there's there's a lot to be looked at. I mean, it's again, it's boring, but like defensive stocks do well typically in like a rising interest rate environment where uh, people aren't necessarily spending as much or they're they're more like in kind of savings mode, especially as the economy and like inflation has just been insane. And so like consumer staples, like I'm not necessarily suggesting to invest in that, but like those are safe plays in this environment. Defensive stocks, airlines, like healthcare services, financials, there are stocks like that should do well. Obviously, nothing's guaranteed. Um, so, like, we're going to be looking at that, and and a lot of it, like, I don't think has been priced in yet. So, if you look at like the S and P, and you're looking at like the multiples in terms of price earnings, like they're still ridiculously high even with the pullback. So, like, three interest rate hikes potentially next year or through the course of 2023, tapering it's still not fully priced in yet so like we're gonna until like multiples get compressed further like i still think we're looking at a period where like this first pullback like last week or even the week before is kind of the first of of potentially a few um i'm not rate like raising the white flag yet but i'm definitely like let's start getting a little bit more defensive let's be smart about it um let's take to your point you talked about this earlier let's take like almost like a vc approach mindset for some of the crypto coins put a small amount in a decent amount of projects and the one that hits is going to like make you a ton of money. Um, it's, you just, you gotta be really smart throwing a dart at a wall, hitting a stock <laughs> the way that you did it over the last few years. And chances are went up is just, it's not going to work the same next year. Exactly. And I think one thing we're, we're doing here, too, is like we're, as we sort of think about like getting into 2022 and thinking about our investing strategies there, we're just talking about inflation. But there are other market forces that we need to keep in mind as well. One that kind of we talked a lot about at the beginning of this week and one that's going to come up a little bit next week in our research, too, Justin, is the idea that retail may actually take a haircut here. And that's something that our audience is very interested in and curious about. Like some of the best picks we made this year, like Lululemon and Dick's Sporting Goods, performed brilliantly despite ludicrous supply chain issues and just like you know the world being shut down as all of our spend shifted from services to goods essentially so there was a, there was a lot of reasons for retail to go down this year but if you were smart like you know dicks lululemon best buy those kinds of companies a lot of reasons to go up as well and so i guess the major question is that has that seems to be a situation coming on credit as you see retail the growth in retail spending massively outpacing the growth in in, in, in the growth of income growth right so the main question is, do you think the party is kind of beginning to end for retail as you kind of as you kind of monitor the situation moving forward? How 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 do you think about watching the signals in terms of like contagion events and wondering if retail spend is going to actually tank? Yeah, so it's hard to like definitively say that like it, it's over yet. My guess is not yet. We're still like kind of in this upslope because yes, inflation is, is spiking like crazy and like things are crazy expensive, but like that affects more people who are like buying repeat things. So like you go to the store and you buy eggs, like you notice the eggs are more expensive. You buy gas, you notice it's more expensive. If you're going to Nike and like buying shorts, you're not like paying attention 
and say like you're not buying shorts every single week so you're like oh these pairs of shorts should be 45 dollars and they're actually like 47 so like the inflation doesn't hit them as hard because you're not like a repeat customer there um but having said that like the pent-up demand eventually has to like decrease and so rewind like to 2020 we were locked at home for an entire year no one was going to nike no one was going to these stores because like why why are you buying clothing like there's just there you weren't wearing it you weren't i was wearing the same pair of sweatpants every day for a month um but now with like the world reopening like people want to buy stuff and so there's been that huge pent-up demand especially with stimulus and some other things to buy retail goods and so with asset prices staying inflated and people feeling wealthy I don't think that's going to pull back soon. I think it's going to take a pullback in the market for retail demand to actually to start to dip. Um, but it doesn't look like that's happening yet. And so, like I, I said before, with like, I think more dips are coming when they're coming, say. Um, but I think retail growth is going to kind of tank shortly thereafter, especially like when you look at like Nike, for example, like Nike reported unbelievable results uh, just this week. Um, and that's a continuation of like the story over the last year. And so there's no reason that can't continue and like it probably will, but whether it's next earnings report, the earnings report after that, or the one after that, eventually it's going to take the other way. And so we've had a ton of upside on Nike. We've had a ton of upside on Dix. We're going to continue holding on to them for a little bit longer, but I'd rather get caught and sell, you know, 10% from the top than all of a sudden have to hold all the way through, you know, one or two year bear, bear period. Um, Getting in at the absolute bottom and selling at the absolute top is never done by any investor ever. So just got to be smart, see where the peaks and valleys are starting to approach and get out, even if it doesn't mean you're not getting 100%. And I love that. I think it's a really good way to end this because the way we talk about the stock market and the way the stock market actually performs, you know, they're, they're on extraordinarily different scales. And so we say, oh, inflation's coming retail is going to have a pullback. If it does, it's going to be a very slow one. And that's something to keep in mind. When we, when we, it takes me 35 seconds to describe a market force, but it takes, you know, six to 12 months for the actual results of that to play out across your portfolio audience. So keep that in mind. Like the, the way you talk about uh, investing, the way you talk about the stock market can make you very, very reactive, very, very jumpy when in fact you need to be slow, considered and kind of watch the numbers over time. So I love the questions I got from you audience. I love like the perspective we have here. Justin, as always, I'm, I'm always amazed that we get through these as fast as we do. Like, this did not feel like 30 minutes. It felt like three. But I guess we're right here at the very end here, but to try to keep it to a tight 30. So, Justin, any final thoughts from you as we kind of roll into the holidays and the new year? Like, is there anything we should be doing to reflect on during this kind of, like, breather we'll have between uh, Christmas and New Year's? Like, what's the deal here, man? What's your final thoughts? Yeah, I think going into the end of the year, like, it's going to be – I mean, we've been saying this every single week. So for those of you who've been listening, I'm sure it's, you know, boring at this point, but for newer listeners, it's just a continuation of like this choppiness in the markets. And so last week we were down, this week we're up. It's just going to continue being like this. So seeing the choppiness is just going to drive you crazy. But again, like try and help, like try and spot trends. Like we're not patting my own back here, but listen to like some of the stuff we say. You don't have to agree with all of it. You don't have to disagree with all of it, but Hopefully it'll just like make you think about things a little bit differently so you can be a smarter investor. So if you think a top's coming and you think things are going to sell off and you can sell it and like vice versa, if you see a really good opportunity, you think something sold off, go for it. Like we're looking at Neo right now, for example, and I've been trying to wrap my head around this for a long time now, but 
like Chinese stocks, not to like get this too much of all to a tangent, but Chinese stocks are potentially a lot of them are going to get delisted in America because they're not like adhering to the same like financial uh, financial like um, like kind of overall like what you need to do from a financial reporting perspective that other American stocks are. So they're at risk of getting delisted. And so that's why we've seen a huge sell this year outside of like China fears. But NEO is also down like 50% from its highs and like it's a stock that's exploding in growth. So it's like, are like are we almost at the bottom? Are we, is it going to go down another 20, 30%? Is it going to get delisted and we're just going to completely lose everything? Or like for a company that's actually doing like some pretty cool shit, like are we comfortable initiating a position? So like finding bottoms or spotting trends before they happen is pretty difficult. Um, so like advice to everyone is just like, be very thoughtful in this kind of environment. There's a lot of, you know, a lot of no, a lot of people acting like they're like fucking geniuses more or less. So just, you know, just make sure you're, you're being pretty diligent. Exactly. And I think that's the main thing to keep in mind too. The past year and a half has made it very, very easy for people to appear like geniuses as well, given just the extraordinarily high growth environment we had. Like a lot of tech stocks really carried the market, so to speak, as they just rode to truly ridiculous highs. So watch that as well. Like you're going to see a lot of, you're going to see a big pullback in the smugness index as uh, people don't necessarily get washed, but as the market becomes a little bit harder and a little bit more considered to pr predict. And so that's the kind of environment that I personally thrive in. And that's the kind of environment I'm the most excited for as I move forward. And audience, I really appreciate your questions. I really appreciate your time as well. If you have anything else for us, audience, again, feel free to DM me here on Discord. At the same time, you can feel free to email us at hello at moby.co. At the same time, we didn't even get into the analysis we're doing on aerospace lately. Uh, go, go ahead and check out uh, youtube.com slash c slash mobyinvest for our latest ideas in terms of like who we think is going to win sort of the middle class of this new and growing aerospace industry. I'm super excited about this. I made a video that was essentially just a Christmas present to myself. Otherwise, audience. It's just been really awesome having you here. Justin Kramer, co-founder and um, chief analyst here at Moby.co. Again, I really appreciate your time. Audience, thank you so much for being here. I'm just going to go ahead and read the credits. This podcast is produced and hosted by me, Peter Star Northrop. As always, all of our analysis comes from our co-founder and chief analyst here, Justin Kramer. Any questions for us, you can hit us up at hello at Moby.co. Otherwise, audience, I really appreciate your time. Thank you so much for being here with us. And as always, we'd like to leave you with peace, love, and incremental gains. Everyone be well. Thank you so much.